Uh, Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you uh, for the approaching summer, Lord, as the, the clocks change. It's, it's, a, it's a miserable day today as we wake up, but the evenings uh, come later, and, and it's just a nice time of the year that we um, see newness of life. Uh, we see the flowers sprouting up, and, and it's, just a, it's, a, it's just a beautiful season. And so, Lord, as we turn our attention to a new book, the Gospel of Mark, Lord, we ask that you would guide us through this, this book that is so packed with action. We ask, uh, Father, that you would help us um, to, to lift up Christ as he is, that we would um, soften our hearts uh, to, to his message and his work, that our lives would be utterly transformed uh, by him. Lord, we are grateful for this gospel that you have given to us, Lord. It's, as, as Dave mentioned, it's a gift. It's by your grace we are saved. It's not from our works. And that, that just doesn't, it's so hard to line that with our, just our economy, that, that you do something for something. And it just seems out of sorts that you would forgive us and redeem us just because you love us. And Lord, help us to never um, lose sight that the, the cross was a huge price to be paid for this gift. It might be free for us to receive it, but it came at great expense to Jesus. And so, Lord, we, um, we look to him this morning as we go through this passage. We ask that you would meet us here, that you would guide us along our, our journey through this book. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. I'm going to sort of back up Start from the beginning. I know Garrett did the introduction last week, um, <clears throat> but we're going to look at the first 11 verses. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. The voice of the one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea was going out to him, and all the people of Jerusalem, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist, and his diet was locusts, and wild honey. And he was preaching and saying, After me, one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Immediately, Coming out of the water, he saw the heavens opening and the spirit like a dove descending upon him. And a voice came out of the heavens, you are my beloved son, in you I am well pleased. Father, we do thank you for the story. We ask that you would guide us now and it's in Christ's good name we pray, amen. All right, the, the gospel of Mark, Garrett did a great job introducing th- this, this gospel um, it, it sort of t- 
takes off with a bang. I mean, he, he doesn't mince words. He's not a, he doesn't use a lot of words. He just sort of gives you the Cliff Notes version of what's happening. He moves the story along. One scholar says that, that Mark is a, it's a passion narrative, meaning it's a story of the cross with an extended introduction. So he makes the case that much of Mark is moving along to get to the cross, and it's really about the cross and what Jesus accomplished there. Um, I want to do the exact opposite that we did in Revelation and, and in Daniel where I did this sort of this flying over, kind of giving us the big picture. I want to narrow in on Mark. And so Mark, will, will as we go through it, my, my prayer, my hope is that uh, Mark would provide sort of this skeleton and then we would use the other gospels to sort of uh, give it some flesh to, to see the rest of the story. Um, there's a lot of verses up here. Don't be scared behind me. But the first three are the, the, the harmony of this gospel story. So if you ever Google or want to see how do the stories line up, you can Google the harmony of the gospels, and it'll sort of break out the various gospels and the stories that are presented. So the story of John the Baptist and Jesus' baptism are found in Matthew chapter 3, Luke chapter 3, John chapter 1. And here in, in Mark chapter 1. Um, and so we begin. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It's interesting. Each, each gospel has its own introduction and in how the writer introduces what they are trying to convey. Um, we know that Mark is written to a predominantly... Uh, believing audience. These are Romans and Greeks who have accepted the story of Christ, uh, but he gives an account of the things that had happened. Um, front and center, n- none of the other Gospels do this, but he puts the, the word gospel, which Garrett really brought home last week, right in the forefront. It's throughout this, this Gospel. It's about the good news of Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. Uh, my prayer is that you know, in the coming months, I don't know how long it's going to take us to get through, Mark, but that we would really put Christ at the, the center of our thinking and heart and mind and just how we go about our life, that if you have come to know Christ already, that your passion will be reignited for him. If you don't know Christ, that you would come to know him and, and that your passion for him would grow. Um, if you're already passionate for Christ, I pray that we would just be adding gasoline to your fire to sort of the, to propel you along. And so he, he starts with the phrase, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. So he says it's Isaiah the prophet. It's actually a, a, a compounding quote. He's taken a little bit from Malachi 3.1, and the rest is from Isaiah 4, 3, 40, verse 3. And so he's about to quote from the Old Testament this is the only prophecy that's quoted in the whole of the book of Mark. So uh, we've had a lot of prophecy in the last few months, amen? <laughs> and so we're taking a break from prophecy. It's important, but now we're moving on to sort of the, the meat and potatoes of the gospel, you know, Jesus and his incarnation. And so what he quotes is he says, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of the one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, 
make his paths straight. And so with the, the quote from Isaiah, the quote from Malachi, Malachi sort of concludes God's speaking in the Old Testament. Um, it, it comes with this, this warning to, to sort of prepare your hearts. It enters into what's referred to as a silent 400 years where God doesn't speak. Um, there, there's this awaiting of this arrival. And the, the, the idea is to get your roads ready. It, it carries the, um, the idea that if a, a king was to travel to go visit a city, before the king, they would send a whole, you know, the work crew, they would fix all the potholes, they would do the, uh, the landscaping on the roads, they would make everything nice and beautiful. Uh, three years ago when we were in Israel, the last trip, as we got into Jerusalem, clearly there was a bunch of, like, it was a nightmare, like, traffic-wise, and we're like, what is going on? And the guy, the tour guide, said, oh, your vice president, Joe Biden, is a couple weeks out, and he's coming to do a visit here. And so they're preparing everything for his arrival. And we don't see a lot of that in our day-to-day lives, but when a dignitary goes somewhere, still to this day, crews go out to make sure it's safe, to make sure it's secure, to make sure all the potholes are filled up. And so Mark quotes from the Old Testament saying that this prophet would come to prepare the, the hearts of the nation of Israel to receive the king that... Uh, their potholes would be filled in, the, the hardness of their heart, uh, things that have gotten in the way of their relationship with God would be cleared out, uh, that their sin would be dealt with. Um, it, it really is a, a pretty picture. Um, so, so when we look at John the Baptist, which we're being introduced to, John the Baptist is the New Testament, but he's really an Old Testament prophet that sort of walks onto the pages of the New Testament and he's a burly-looking guy that we'll see. Uh, he's this forerunner to Christ. His whole purpose was to prepare the people for the Messiah. Um, I love John the Baptist in that um, he's a picture of, of God's mercy in, in our own lives, that, that God takes the time to sort of cultivate the soil of our hearts, which at times can be um, hardened and resistant to the things of God, but that God is this gracious and merciful God that, that toils the condition of the soil of our heart so that we would receive him. And so my prayer is that as we work through this gospel, that our hearts would be softened to the things uh, that God would want us to be softened to. And so verse 4, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance, for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea was going out to him and all the people of Jerusalem. And they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. A little bit later, we're going to get a geographical region of, of where Jesus is coming from. I want to pause. I'm just the opposite of Dave. I don't like geometry. There was one class I had to repeat in uh, junior high, and that was the one I had to take twice. But geography I love, and I think it's super important. And so even though we're a little bit ahead of, of Jesus' introduction of where he's coming from, on this map, it's a, it's a map of Israel, and there's two circles. And the, the northern circle, the one on top, 
circles the region of Galilee. So, so Galilee is not just a lake. It's, it's a whole region. So you can see the Sea of Galilee, but that whole region is the region of Galilee. It's one of the districts. And then the rectangle um, within that circle is Nazareth. And that's the town where Jesus is going to come uh, to be baptized by John the Baptist. Now the southern circle here is the region of Judea. It's the wilderness. Don't think of Lake Tahoe. I always hear wilderness. I think, oh, beautiful Lake Tahoe. No, think uh, the desert. Think um, El Centro, <laughs> you know? <laughs> like really beautiful country out there. Like, like it's nothing. It's, it's rock and sand and it's a miserable place. We have the Dead Sea here. And then you have the river that flows from the Galilee down to the Dead Sea. And so John the Baptist's baptisms were probably somewhere in the southern region of the Dead Sea here. So just to kind of orientate ourselves, I think it's like 80 miles, 60 miles. It's, it's, it's a good day's drive to get from the north to the south. Um, and we're introduced to John the Baptist, number one. And we're introduced to his, his message, and he's such a character. I, you know, so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That's all Mark gives us. And it would be, you would miss a lot about this guy if that's all you read. Uh, if you take into account Luke and, and Matthew, which I'm not going to read to us, but we, get a, we sort of get a different flavor or a, a, a fuller picture of, of John. Um, his baptism was a, a baptism of, of uh, sort of confessing, confessing of your sins. Um, th- there's this picture of him, and, and Mark will get to his image, verse 6. John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist, and his diet was not steak and lobster. It was locust with wild honey. So he's this, just this burly-looking guy we know um, from other accounts, that the Nazarite vow was placed upon him. He was sort of, they believe that he was a part of the Essenes. So we know the, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Essenes were another um, sort of a, a group that kind of really pulled themselves out of culture and community and were isolationist and almost militant in their beliefs. We believe that they were the group where ultimately they preserved the Dead Sea Scrolls down in the Qumran. It's the same region. Um, and so here's John. And the, 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 the Matthew account, the Luke account, is this picture of John the Baptist just sort of standing in the Jordan River, challenging the nation, calling out their sins, um, telling people to confess, and the, the people flocked to John. And, and you get the sort of the, the picture that they're going in, and it's not like they're just quietly confessing their sins, but they're walking out to him, and they're naming verbally out loud so that all can hear their sins, and he's baptizing them. It's this, this beautiful scene of revival. And in, in Luke chapter 3, there's three classes of people or three groupings of people that, that come to him and say, okay, now, now what do we do? And so there's the first group was the crowds. Then there's the tax collectors who everybody hated. Um, and then there was the military guys, which always strikes a, 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 like a, a chord with me. 
Like, okay, we've been baptized now. What? And he, he speaks to each one of them. Now that you've been baptized, now that you've, you've repented, live your life in this manner. And he gives them instructions. And, and I mean, the whole of Israel is flocking to John the Baptist. It's a beautiful scene. Then all of a sudden, the Pharisees and scribes get word, what's going on? What's happening to our, our people? Like, what's everybody doing? And so they go to the edge of the river. And John the Baptist, when he sees them, he says, you brood of vipers, who warned you? And he starts challenging these guys, like, don't you come down here. You're not worthy of this. And, and he recognizes that they were religious. They were looking on, but they had no desire to get right with God. They were consumed with their religion. It's, it's awesome. Herod Antipas, who was the, this ruthless ruler of the region, who, man, he's like a whole soap opera. I mean, it, this is straight out of Jerry Seinfeld. Jerry Springer, Seinfeld. I don't watch a lot of those shows. Uh, there you go. That's good. But, but so he has this, an appropriate relationship with somebody he's related to, and John the Baptist just calls a spade a spade, says, you're in sin. This is totally wrong. She gets all mad. It ultimately would lead to his death. Uh, we're told, I think it's in Luke later, that, that Herod, although John was very offensive, he found him very entertaining to listen to. Like He's like, I don't know how I feel about this, but nobody talks to me this way. This is, I kind of like this. And so this is this, this, just this unique ministry of, of, of challenging people to get right with God, uh, challenging people to, uh, to squarely evaluate who they were in relationship to God, that they were sinners in need of a Savior. Um, Aiken, one commentator, says, in short, John's message was, the time is now to get right with God. He said, guys, the king is coming. The Messiah is here. He is on the way. You, know, you don't have any longer to, to goof around. You need to get right with God. Square your lives away. Uh, confess your sins. And, and the response is overwhelming. I've already touched on this image of, of John dressed in camel's hair, which is not really glamorous. Uh, he had a leather belt around his waist. His diet was locusts and wild honey. I, I, I imagine a crazy homeless guy is what I, in my mind, is, is the mental image that, that comes to my mind. And I do think there's a, a, a lesson not to judge a book by a cover. Um, you know, I'm kind of arguing. There's times to be like, don't be unwise about how, you know, but... But, but look into the heart of the individual and the message, and, and we're, we're more concerned with who you are as a person than what you're wearing on a, on a Sunday. And, and here this guy is. God used him in a way that stood out from culture, in a way to challenge culture. There, there was nothing politically correct about this guy. And the people responded. And as he was preaching, saying... After me, one is coming who is mightier than I. For I'm not fit to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. So while his popularity is growing, John never, 
his head never was elevated that it was about him. He recognized that his role was about magnifying Christ. In fact, in Matthew, or excuse me, John 3.30, it's John the Baptist who is the one who said, uh, he must increase, speaking about Christ, but I must decrease. Sort of understanding that his role was simply there uh, to point to Jesus. Um, Alistair Begg, in describing John the Baptist, he said he was a lot like Ed McMahon. Uh, what was Ed McMahon famous for? Here's Johnny. Here's Johnny. I don't whoever gets the candy bar over here. <laughs> <laughs> But he made his whole career was basically, was it Johnny Carson? He's a little bit before my, but, you know, here's Johnny. And John the Baptist, it was, here's Jesus. It's all about Jesus, pointing people to Christ. And he says that there's one that's coming after me that I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. This, this was the, the most humbling, the most uh, degrading thing an individual could do was to, to wash an individual's feet, to, to take off their sandals. Um, and John says, I'm not even worthy to, to take off his shoe. Jesus would refer to John as being the greatest man of, of human history, that there was none greater than John the Baptist. And, and here this man, who is greater than all other mans in terms of uh, human self-righteousness that you can attain, and he says, I'm not worthy to, to bend down and untie his shoe. He says, I baptize with water. My baptism is merely external. This is, it's, it's, it's you confessing to God. It's you preparing your heart. It's nothing more than me dunking you in water and raising you up. But when he comes, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit, which was totally unheard of. Uh, the, the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament would descend on individuals and, and could leave an individual that's why David would, would pray in his prayer of confession, Lord, don't take your spirit from me. That the whole idea of, of spirit baptism within Christianity where you're sealed by the spirit was unheard of. And he says, Christ is coming and it's going to be a radically different way of going about life and living and your relationship with God it, it will be unlike anything you can possibly imagine. Um, if you were to ask me, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, trying to do the math of when did I start sort of affiliating with Christianity. If you'd asked me what baptism was or what biblical baptism was back then, I think I would have come up with um, it's something you have done to you when you're a baby. I'm trying to give myself some credit. I think that's the, the, I think I could have come up with that. Um, now, 20 to 30 years later, um, I've come to understand that the Bible speaks of five different baptisms. Um, there's John the Baptist baptism, which is this baptism of repentance, uh, that it was sort of this preparing the way for the Savior, the, the nation of Israel, um, getting right with God to receive the Savior who had come, the Messiah who had come. Um, 
Then we have Jesus' baptism, which we're going to look at in just a little a verse or two here. And Jesus' baptism is, is unique unto itself. There's a lot of questions that are going to surface. Why in the world would Jesus be baptized by John? Jesus who knew no sin? I'm going to answer that question. I think John had the same question. Um, we have in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 15, uh, this, this baptism of fire. It's this, this picture that, uh, of cleansing, of when you stand before the Lord and judgment happens, that, that fire will come and, and burn away any impurities. But so in 1 Corinthians 3, there's this baptism of fire. Uh, so that's three. And then the last two are the ones that we're most familiar with. Um, the spirit baptism, which John references here. And so spirit baptism is mentioned in Ephesians 1.13. If you will, let's go over there, we have time. So in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. So in Ephesians 1, verse 13, we read, In him, that's Jesus, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who was given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. And so what Ephesians 1.13 tells us is that when an individual hears the gospel, that Jesus died, he was buried, he rose again on the third day, when they come to the place in their life, when they hear the gospel and then they receive it and they believe it and they trust in this for salvation, we're told here at that moment that the Holy Spirit seals them. It's, it's, it's the baptism of the Spirit where the, the Spirit comes within you and dwells you, seals you until the day of redemption. It, it's a, it's a one-time transaction. Um, there's an assurance connected to this um, that the saints of the Old Testament, quite frankly, didn't have. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, Paul would write that sort of about these two bodies, the, the body of Adam, uh, our life in, apart from Christ in sin, and the, the body of Christ. And so 1 Corinthians 12, 13 is sort of like this arrow from, from the body of Adam into the body of Christ, that through the Spirit that you've been baptized, uh, when you believe this, this transaction has happened in your life that you're moved from an unsaved person to a saved sinner and that you're in Christ and you're secure. And so that is the spirit baptism, which leads into the fifth baptism, which is water baptism, which we're most familiar with. Water baptism spoken of in Romans 6 and through the Gospels, um, Jesus giving the command to go and baptize um, the nations and the Great Commission, that, that water baptism is a, is a symbol. It's a picture of the spirit baptism. It, it's a, it's, it shows your old life in Christ going under the water, immersion, and your new life being raised up. And so uh, water baptism is very much like a wedding ring. You know, I take it off. That doesn't mean I'm not married. I'm married. This wedding band it reminds me of the day that Anna and I exchanged vows. 
And it's a, it's a picture, it's a reminder, it declares to the world that I married and that this transaction happened, but the band itself doesn't actually, it doesn't do anything. I mean, it's, it, I don't want to get myself in trouble. <laughs> I've already been in a lot of trouble for saying the bride of Christ, you know, is like a new car coming off the car lot a few weeks ago. I haven't lived that one down. So I want to be very, very careful. So the wedding band, as important as it is, I can lose it, and I'm still married. I don't want to lose it. Um, but it symbolizes something deeper that actually happened in my life. And water baptism is a symbol, it's a picture of, of a transaction that happened between you and God. Um, last weekend was interesting to me. I, uh, I, I haven't been to a Catholic Mass in many, many years, and I don't remember the last Catholic funeral I've been to. And it was a very difficult ceremony for me to, to, to be a participant in. Um, just by attending, I wasn't really participating. Gunner, the Protestant pastor, like throughout wanted to stand up and start interrupting the priest and saying, this is what the Bible says and this is, um, but I couldn't. Um, but throughout the, the, the funeral mass, uh, his reference to my friend who he didn't know, who she may or may not be in heaven, his whole premise was she was baptized as a baby, and therefore her sins were washed clean. And so it, it stirred up a bunch of my being raised Catholic emotions and confusion that I had early in my giving my life to Christ because I was always told that I was good to go because I was baptized as a baby. But there was no transaction of my spirits with God. Um, and so we have to be careful with this understanding of, of, of baptism. Water baptism is a picture of something that's spiritually happened within you after you've trusted in Christ. Um, I, you know, when it comes to ch- children baptism and children dedication, we, we dedicate young babies here. Um, really, in, in huge respect, it's, we're praying for you because you're going to need a lot of help <laughs> raising them. And as they get old, like, like they, it's really about the parents standing before God saying, I'm giving my life to, to raise this child according to your ways and that we want to dedicate this child um, for, for you and your service. Recognizing that the Bible speaks of baptism as something that you do following conversion, following your personal response to the gospel. It's huge. And here John, as he's baptizing this, his baptism of, of repentance, it's, he's not saving people. It's, it's, it's this, they're responding to God. The transaction is happening in their heart. They're going into the water. They're being baptized, um, showing this change, identifying themselves with John. 
And John says, someone greater is coming than I. And this Jesus who is coming, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. That's where salvation occurs. That's the transaction between standing as an enemy with God to becoming a friend of God, to becoming a child of God. It's huge. And then we're told in verse 9, in those days, so we don't know how long John was doing his thing for. Like, I, I, I don't know. Um, it's believed that from this phrase in those days that Jesus came on scene midway through or towards the end of John's ministry of, of this baptism of repentance. We're told that he came from Nazareth in Galilee. So we have the town in the northern circle. So the, the region is Galilee. The town is Nazareth. Jesus came from there down to Judea where, where John was doing his baptism. And, and really, like all, all he says, I'm in Ephesians. That's not going to help me. But in Mark 1, 9, he says, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth to Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. He doesn't give any amplifying commentary. He doesn't explain stuff. The question is like, why in the world would Jesus, the God-man, the one who was without sin, why would he go to John to, to be baptized? And John the Baptist had the same question. If we were to go to Matthew chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, we would read, but John tried to prevent him, saying, Jesus, stop. What are you doing being baptized by me? Saying, I have need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answering said to him, permit me at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. So Jesus is like, you have to go through with this. And in Jesus' baptism, we see a few things about why um, Jesus was baptized by John. I, I think first, it's the beginning picture of uh, the humility of Christ. You know, we go to Philippians 2.5, um, to have this attitude in yourselves, um, to humble yourself as Christ humbled himself. Uh, this is totally Gunner's paraphrase. Um, that, that he who knew no sin, he, he humbled himself and went to the cross. The idea of Jesus being baptized by John the Baptist is just as foreign as Jesus be hanging on the cross, dying for our sins. It's this picture of a, of a humble servant submitting himself to the Father's will. Mark Dever says this uh, uh, concerning the baptism. It is no more odd for Jesus to be baptized in the Jordan River than for him to hang on the cross of Calvary as the sinless and spotless Son of God. But, but Jesus, going into the Jordan, he's humbling himself to the Father's will. He's endorsing the ministry of John the Baptist. He's linking himself with John the Baptist. John the Baptist who is saying, my role here is to be the forerunner of the, the Christ who is to come. Jesus goes to him and says, I am here. Um, it is the, the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. Um, Jesus going into the waters, he's identifying with sinners. Um, we, we serve a, a God um, that understands what we go through in Hebrews, that we, we don't serve a high priest that doesn't... Okay, let me just go there. I'm like, between uh, the East Coast jet lag, the time change, my brain is not firing. Um, 
But in Hebrews, I believe I'm going. I went to the wrong Hebrews. It's not in my notes. I'm like off script right here, so... in 10 we went through this um, we don't have a high priest you guys know that one it's always on the spot I really should put this in my notes it's not 927 we have a high priest that understands sympathizes with us we're my Bible scholars. 4.15, that's, that is it. Star goes to Dave Gould. I knew I was... Hebrews 4.15, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize... We have a high priest who can... For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. And so it's this picture of Christ identifying with us. And so even in baptism, where John is calling out a sinful people, Jesus humbles himself, he links himself to John, he identifies with us as sinners, and he's baptized uh, into this acknowledgement of sin, which is really a beautiful picture of the God that we serve. Um, and then this is the launching of Jesus' public ministry. So he's in his 30s. Uh, his, his earthly ministry, which John doesn't, or his earthly life, really, John doesn't cover the first part, his birth, his early years. He simply kicks off with the baptism, which is where Jesus begins his public ministry. Um, it's really his inauguration of the ministry in many ways. We're going to see the heavens split open here and the Father giving his endorsement on the Son, and so, I don't know if you guys have been baptized. If you have trusted in Christ and you haven't been baptized, as I read this story of Jesus, I, I see conviction in my life um, from early in my Christian life. Um, I was really resistant to being baptized after I converted. Um, it was an arrogance thing. It was a, it was a, it was a prideful condition of my heart. Um, it really took Anna in our like dating phase to really challenge me in my baptism. Um, I'm grateful for that, but she did not let me off the hook. I was like, no, no, I'm a Christian now. I was baptized as a baby, and I'm just going to sort of parlay that into my new life. And cry. Like, it's good. I did it. I have a picture. Like, I have a picture of me doing it. And while I didn't understand then, I understand now. And so now I'm giving myself credit. And she's like, that's really good reasoning, but it's just not biblical. <laughs> and I'm kind of going back and forth, and I, I got back from deployment, and then I went to go run this Jesus Run Marathon up in, in Denver, and I, I, I really failed at like mile 20. I was like, I'm out of, like when they say mile high city, they mean it, and I didn't understand what that meant before the marathon. But I was laying in somebody's yard, because the sprinkler was on, and I'm just like, I'm going to die. Like, I have six more miles, but it sure seems like a long way to go. And this guy, this, this older guy, Buddy, shows up, and he's like, hey, I'm Bud. 
I got this little drink. You can, you're welcome to the rest of it. So I ate it. There was a dinner in there, and it, apparently I had low blood sugar. And so I was ready to go the last six, and I ran with this guy, Bud. Turns out Bud was from Atlanta and was a pastor. And this whole marathon, I'm wrestling with God about should I be baptized or not. And I'd already, I'd, like, I'm in Bible college now. It's like the elementary things of being baptized, it's, that's for the rookies. I've got past that. And, and, and so God broke me on the, like God literally broke me on the marathon and then paired me with this, just happened that a pastor started running with me. And I said, hey, there's a lake after this. Do you, will you baptize me there? And he's like, he's like, I'd love to. He's like, but I don't want to do the lake. What hotel are you staying? Let's do the hotel pool. <laughs> so I was like, okay. So we, so I was baptized in like the Marriott or something in Denver, and I still have a relationship with this guy. But so when I look at this, and I think there's a lot of times that we're resistant to being baptized the way that, that Christ intended us to be baptized because of arrogance. It certainly was true in my own life, but we were, right, we were baptized as kids, or we were baptized before we were really believers, or you just haven't ever done it because it just seems cold and wet, and I don't like... It doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. But the Bible makes it clear. And I read this story, and if anybody had the right to have some arrogance, it would be Christ. But Christ humbled himself, and he was baptized under John the Baptist's baptism. And so I find it convicting, even though I've already, on my third baptism, I got it correct. But we'll, we'll move ahead. So verse 10, we see the word immediately. Um, this is a critical word. If you're in the NIV, you won't see the word, there, won't see the word immediately there. Um, I, I love the NIV. Like it's one of my favorite translations, but it's a dynamic equivalent, and so you don't always get the word-for-word translation. But the word immediately in the Gospel of Mark is used 42 times. Of the 42 times in the Greek, it's, it's translated immediately 40 times. Uh, there's two other times it's translated straight, or just then. But, but it's this urgency. It, it, it shows John really showing the movement of the story. He's not getting bogged down with telling the whole story. Um, it, it, immediately, he's showing movement that this happened, and we're moving on to the next thing. And immediately, coming out of the water, he saw the heavens opening in the Spirit, like a dove, not a dove, but like a dove. It's the best thing he can do to describe this or that he's been shared by Peter or whoever was helping him with this information. The, the spirit, like a dove, descending upon him, and a voice came out of heaven, you are my beloved son, and in you I am well pleased. And so it's this, this Trinitarian picture. We see the, the Godhead. We see Christ about to inaugurate, his, starting his ministry. We see the spirit in this dove-like form coming down upon him. And... The, the heaven, the word opened, is literally split open. It's, it's an abrupt, harsh word. And out of this cracking of the sky, the voice of the Father comes out and says, you are my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. It's this beautiful picture. This serves as, as the bookend of the beginning of the book of Mark. This word opened or cracked open is only used twice in the whole of the gospel of Mark. The only other place it's used is over in Mark chapter 15, verse 38. And the scene is Jesus breathing his last breath on the cross. And then we're taken into the scene of the temple. And there's a veil. And what happened to the veil? 
split in two. That word split in two is that same word. It's the only other place. Sky split open, veil split open. Within these two stories, it, it's, it's the message that John is convey, or Mark is conveying to us. It's, it's, it's the heart of his story. And so here Jesus has been baptized. He's kicking off his ministry. Next week we'll see his temptation. Uh, uh, basically a war is declared on Christ right from the beginning. Right from the beginning. Uh, we see this in our lives. As you step out from God, don't be surprised when resistance comes your way. Uh, Satan will try to stumble you the moment you step out for God. Um, the New American Commentaries, we end here. They say on this story, Mark's treatment of the baptism, though very brief, is important from a theological standpoint. The gospel opens with a statement that Jesus is the Son of God. At the baptism, God himself affirmed that Jesus is his Son. The purpose of both passages, and especially the second, is to inspire the readers slash hearers to acknowledge Jesus as the Son of God and to love and take pleasure in him. It's a beautiful explanation of the Gospel of Matthew that, that we, as followers of Christ, would come to love him more, to enjoy him more, uh, to spend time with him. As John the Baptist came and said, prepare, prepare uh, for the coming of the Lord, filling in the potholes and doing that sort of thing, my prayer is that we would examine the condition of our hearts, that we would examine the things that are creating barriers to our relationship with Christ. It could be simple busyness. It could be media of any sort. It could be social media. Um, it, could, it could be a sedentary lifestyle. You know, for me, if I'm not running or, or biking or something, I have a hard time kind of getting out of a funk and, and, and praying. Some of my best prayer time is when I'm doing something physical. Um, and, and so the, the question that I want to leave you with is how can you um, sort of cultivate the soil of your heart so that this year, as we go through this book, that you would grow in your relationship with God, that you would become more passionate for him, um, that you would be more sensitive to his voice as he leads you day in and day out. And with that, let's pray. Um, Father, I do thank you for the gospel of Mark. It's so, uh, so fast-moving. And today we see um, Mark opening with this Old Testament prophecy concerning the forerunner of Christ, John the Baptist. That Jesus isn't some new religion that came out of nowhere, that he... He is Judaism. He um, was first mentioned in Genesis chapter 3 as a part of your plan. And so, Lord, we come to this story um, with, with hearts that, that tend to be hardened to your voice. And so, God, I pray that you would help us as we navigate this gospel, that you would Help us to, to come to uh, the Gospel of Mark with uh, fresh eyes and, and uh, fresh ears and that our hearts would be softened uh, to the ministry of Christ, um, his earthly ministry. Father, we thank you for his example of, of baptism. We thank you 
that he offers us a baptism by the Spirit, uh, that through faith in Christ we can be restored to you. And for many of us, we have. And so, God, we ask that you would help us um, to walk in newness of life with you. We are grateful, Lord, um, for the stories that you've recorded for us to enjoy, to learn, to grow, and to walk closer with Christ. And we ask that you would help us to do that all the days of our life. And it's in Jesus' good name we pray. Amen.